Okay, welcome back. Uh, Sundown Podcast. We're toying with some names. Uh, we might It might change the name of it. Um, but as of today, still the Sundown. Uh, it's May the 7th when we're recording this. It should go up, I guess, later this afternoon. Uh, welcome to everybody. We're in the sixth marking period. Welcome to my, ho- co- my co-host, Mr. Weissmuller. Mr. Ishii, how are you? What uh, if, if people have noticed, we've changed our uh, backdrops today. Where, yeah, we're uh, not on Fourth Avenue anymore. Not on Fourth Avenue. We're actually we said let's pick a place that we wish that we were at right now. <laughs> so uh, I I picked uh, I'm in the French Riviera right now, uh, kind of in between Nice Fancy. and uh, Monte Carlo, and um, I visited here probably. I'm gonna say five, six years ago, um, and uh, Nice is a is a small. Uh, I wouldn't say small, but a beach town in the south of France. Um, uh, it's not as like bougie as some of the other towns in the French Riviera, like where Jay Z and Beyonce go vacationing. But it is pretty cool. Um, nice beach town, uh, and you know, I wish I was kind of back there, but. Uh, that being said, I see you are somewhere. I, I was trying to guess where it is. I was guessing in Hawaii, but I don't know, is that right or, or no? Close, close, California. Now, wait, before I tell where I am, just curious. You say five or six years ago, and I know that your twins are five years old. Was this a baby moon that you were on, or was it even before that? You know what? Now that I'm thinking of it, it was actually like probably like nine years ago. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> it was kind of like a post, um, kind of like a um, – it was basically our honeymoon, I would say. It wasn't like right after we got married, but it was our first big trip that we took together. We uh, went at, went to Barcelona, Spain, and then we went on a cruise from there that, that went around the Mediterranean. So one of the stops was Nice in France. Um, so, yeah, it was a great trip. It was like 14 nights on a cruise ship, you know, before Corona. It was actually it wasn't as scary. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... But uh, yeah, it was awesome. So this was one of the one of the ports that we we went into, and uh, you stayed went out for the day. You were in Nice, then also you could, at night we went over to uh, Monte Carlo, which is uh, I think it's like Millionaire's Paradise. It's considered. It's they have the Grand Casino there, which I believe has that's like where like some of the James Bond stuff is like is is set over there. Um, nice. So very, very fancy stuff. People walk around in tuxedos. I definitely didn't belong there. And I definitely <laughs> didn't have the, the bankroll to be gambling there. So we just kind of like walked around. But uh, it was a cool experience. And, you know, I probably won't ever be back there. But um, needless to say, if I was had a choice, I'd probably go back there today. You know? Yeah. So that's my deal. And uh, where in California are we today, Mr. Ishii? So I'm in Pasadena, California, which is just outside of Los Angeles. It's uh, where the Rose Bowl is played every year. Um, so the the story with this place is actually um, a buddy of mine, a guy, he was actually the best man at my wedding. He's been uh, very successful professionally uh, since we have graduated. He is the COO, that's the chief operating officer of a gourmet food company. So basically he sells like really fancy food to fancy restaurants is, is like his job where that's what his company does. Um, and we're talking back in 2012. So I had really only met my now wife a month before this. We, we had February break coming up for school. 
And uh, it, this was like, this is me like going back to a, a past life where I could do stuff like this before I had all kinds of responsibilities like a family. But right. <laughs> uh, just like, you know, kind of like the weekend that the vacation with the February vacation was starting, my friend was like, oh, so you're off this whole week? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm flying out to LA on business and they're putting me up at this big suite at this client of ours. He's like, there's a couple rooms within the suite. Do you want to just come? And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to have friends that uh, friends with friends with, that have perks like that. that yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you can't do it yourself, Pretty... just make some friends, I guess. Yeah, no, not not bad, not bad. Uh, what else is going on? Everything good by you? Yeah, you know, just uh, living the shut-in life is all all I can say. Uh, what are you doing to kill the time? Um, you know, I don't know. We're we're starting to binge binge watch some shows. If anybody has any some shows that they really like, let you know, let us know. Always looking for some some TV. I'm actually watching a show now that I think some of the you know the high school kids would like. It's called Outer Banks. Oh, I've, I've been reading about this. I've seen like a lot of uh, Twitter stuff about this. Yeah, it's kind of like Goonies, which a lot of you kids probably don't know what Goonies is, but it's a movie from the 80s that we all watched. Um, so it's a mix of Goonies with like the OC. Um, but uh, Outer Banks is an they area. Know the OC either. <laughs> no. So out, out, the Outer Banks is an area in South Carolina on the coast. Um, and I, you know, I, I didn't know all this. I knew where it was, but I didn't know how it was broken down. But basically there is like the tourist area. And then there's the people that live there and the people that live there are broken up into basically two, you know, two groups. It's the haves and the have nots. So, you know, it's kind of like the, the poor working class and then the like wealthy, the wealthy group who, you know, it's like their second home. So, uh, it follows a bunch of high school kids, um, you know, and, and follows them around with kind of like the trouble that they get into. Uh, the, the, the storyline is basically there is a, a hidden treasure um, that people have been looking for for years uh, in that area. And uh, this, group, this group of kids are, are trying to find this treasure. And, of course, they get into lots of different trouble and relationships and, you know. So it's a, it's a high school drama, though? It's it's like uh, high school yeah, kids? Yeah, high school drama. I would say high school drama. So if, if anybody's watching it, um, let us know. I told Ishii, and now I guess Ishii, you're gonna you're gonna check it out, right? My actually, my wife and I last night were saying we need a new show. So there you go. So yeah, I'm watching Outer Banks. Um, Homeland just finished on Showtime, so we watched that. Um, Has Billion you know, America, started yet? Billion started, so I. I started to watch it and then I fell asleep. But yeah. uh, American Idol has a girl from Staten Island who's wow. doing very well. So that's we usually don't watch American Idol, but this girl from Staten Island's been uh, been killing it. So we're uh, we've been following her a little bit. And uh, yeah, that's it as far as TV. How about you? Anything anything fun you're watching? Uh, well, let's see, um, back, uh, I had surgery in the fall. A lot of kids, uh, probably know. And so I wasn't around it as much. And while I was off then I, I watched succession, but I did it without my wife cause she was obviously still going to work. And so I've been telling her, you know, since the fall, you got to watch it, you got to watch it, you got to watch it. So she finally watched it and I watched it again with her. 
Um, and I, I really love that show. I think the, the characters are really funny and fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, we're watching uh, Killing Eve. You watch that? No, but it did it did win a lot of awards, I think, last year or... Probably know. two years ago. It. The first season was really good. This is the third season. So it's not okay. bad. Um, yeah, we'll, do, do, we'll get you know, to that. Yeah. Do you watch Ozarks? Uh, we watched the first season, and I know that's like a, a show that everybody's binging right now too. So that's that's on the list also. So. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, that's we'll kind get, of what we've been doing. We'll get there. We'll get there. And, again, if anybody has the uh, shows that they think are much watch, let us know. Because uh, yeah. we're looking for recommendations. Or if you're if you're watching like for the kids, if you're watching any old TV, like who knows anything from Friends to The Office, whatever, like that's our wheelhouse. That's from our you know our primes almost. So yeah, Game uh, of Thrones too was like we were huge on Game of Thrones. So yeah. people have never seen that. This is uh, you know a great time. So Game yeah. of Thrones on HBO. I think it's how many? What they had eight seasons. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, you start watching that, just, you know, you can watch, you can probably knock it out in like a week, eight seasons. Um, it's that addicting. So, yeah. Did uh, I tell you there's a, a podcast about The Wire now? Like these, uh, oh, and Jamel Hill is, is, does it from okay. uh, formerly uh, VSPN and Sports Center. Yeah. The um, Wire is, uh, is from, I think, the early 2000s. Is that when yeah. the, the Wire came out? And yeah. that is, uh, basically about the, the drug trade in Baltimore, and that's an amazing show. So if anybody's into that kind of stuff, it's about follows the police, follows the drug, the drug uh, dealers, the politicians. It's it's really a great show. I mean, it's a little old at beepers at, at that time, but uh, it's still it's still it definitely still resonates uh, today. So. Oh, for sure. And and you know, thinking back on it, it's been a while since I've watched it, but thinking back on it. You know, the way that they kind of portray and uh, display the politicians, I feel like would be very relevant to everybody now. Like, you know, uh, what you think should be driving decisions that politicians make and then what actually drives the decisions that the politicians make uh, is a big part of that show. Yeah, which, absolutely. Which I guess is a transition for us into what did he say? Yeah, sure. What do we got? What do you got today? You got. I know you got something, right? Yeah, I don't have necessarily a direct quote. I mean, I guess I could go in and 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 look at his tweets or whatever. But I have just—it's—I've been noticing how often uh, the president Donald Trump has been referring to all of us. And yes, like the first uh, the first response workers, the nurses, doctors, paramedics as warriors but he's also started just referring to all of us the general citizenry as warriors we're warriors in opening up the country and i know <laughs> more than a few times he's referred to himself currently as a wartime president uh you know probably ignoring a number of the active wars we have going on around the world you know he already was but this is the war that he cares about and uh you know i mean look with him it's always so hard to determine, I think, when he knows exactly what he's doing and when he is just spouting off nonsense and people read way too much into it. But I do think he he has a sense, like, 
he's referring to people as warriors in this pandemic that we have to we're defeating the pandemic not by making people safe or uh curing it or you know finding treatments for it we're defeating it by going back to work and i think the way he's describing people as warriors is incredibly dangerous because basically what he's saying like look you look at any any war going back to ancient times and up to as recently as you know you know like you think about even d-day in world war ii there is just like an enormous number of frontline soldiers who have to charge some stronghold and you know most of them are gonna die and yeah. it's just some level of acceptance with that and you you know look we can make all kinds of arguments about the necessity of various wars or any wars but uh you know you, you figure that 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 in some wars, you have some sort of cause of nobility behind you that um, some sort of strong belief. In this case, it's, 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 it's just go out there, be a warrior, risk your life so that the stock market can grow. And I just think that's so outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, listen, Grandma, you're 77. All right. I need you to get out there. All right. Get out there, go to the supermarket and be a warrior. Right. right. That's that's what you got to do. Or even if grandma stays home, listen, grandma, I know if I go out to work and I get sick and I might be fine. But if I come home and give it to you, that's the price you have to pay because I'm a warrior. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I I understand the. The restrictions being relaxed a little bit It's you know, in New York, you know, we see like the trend coming down, but. Some of these states that have been opening up, it's like they're a month behind us and they're opening up and their infection rate is still rising. So yep. it's like, wait a second, that's probably not the smartest thing to be doing right now. You know, like I, I thought the president's guidelines was that a state was supposed to have 14 days of declining infection rates and hospitalizations before they can consider opening up. I believe that was said maybe two, three weeks ago. So I don't understand where, what happened to that. I guess like people basically said, or in some of those states, they're like, nah, we're not, we're not doing that anymore. You know? And it's like, wait a second. The experts are telling you one thing. And, and this is why I do appreciate Cuomo's press conferences because he does explain like, you know, the decisions that we're making are data driven and, you know, we need to like get things down to a certain point where we feel comfortable opening things back up. Right. That's right. That's kind of like what, what he's been saying. So yeah, I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me that states are opening up that, the infection rate is still climbing. Like New York, you can make the case that, you know, the worst has passed us, hopefully. Um, and now we have to open up, we can start opening up smarter, right? That's that's like the goal, like a little bit at a time, which to me sounds like a good plan, uh, you know? And I think these states are trying to do this, but I, uh, I think you were mentioning, like Georgia was the first state to open. And, you know, you could open your restaurant but if people don't come to the restaurant because they don't feel safe, then what good did it do for you opening your restaurant? Right. right? So right. you really have to have like the public feel safe 
at the same time that you start opening, you know, things a little bit at a, at a time. So it just seems like some places in the country are just not on the same page. And, you know, I, I don't know what the driving, you know, I don't know what's driving those decisions, like, to open up. Maybe, like, the people that are protesting, I, I guess, are maybe pushing some of these governors to open up quicker than they should. Uh, you know, I don't know what the answer is to that. Well, but even I don't even understand necessarily or I'm not sure that it is the protesters just because from everything I've been reading, these protests aren't that big. They're like a few hundred people, which right. ultimately is, is not a, it's not a big political protest, particularly when and I don't know if we talked about this on a previous podcast or I was having a discussion with somebody else. But, um, you know, I think one of the things is even if you have a small group of protesters say like a couple hundred and and when you're talking about a couple hundred people it might sound like a lot but when you think about it when sunset park high school has had protests and walkouts over various things over the last couple of years that's a protest of a couple hundred people right, right. <laughs> like, so i mean uh it's not a huge protest where but i think that what you're not able but it's easy to put on tv right because there's a couple hundred people in a location you can take a picture of them or you can film them and there they are protesting. But what you can't kind of visually capture are the millions of people that are staying home and that are observing uh, these social distancing rules. And you don't see that the number of people who are more than willing to abide by the rules and keep themselves safe and safe and healthy, you're not putting them up on TV and you have like a very small noisy group of people. And I do think that politicians probably do realize like, it's not the protesters we need to appease, but uh, you know, I just don't get it because it, it does. And it seems very, very divided pretty strictly along political lines. Like it's mostly Republicans pushing to open things back up, it would seem. And what I don't understand about the government officials that are looking to appease those people is like, I just don't get it because I, I understand that their driving motivation seems to be to make the economy better and to get the stock market to go up. But if you start having mass death, that can't be good for the economy. If, I mean, <laughs> you know, you have less cons fewer consumers. Businesses will close because the owners will die or at least be violently ill for a stretch of time in some cases, uh, yeah. even if they do recover. The new numbers, um, I think like the, the, the projection when we were sheltering in place, the projection, I, we talked about this last time, it was like, 60,000 Americans, you know, projected to die now with like the restrictions being lifted earlier than the experts are recommending the total American projections when it comes to deaths is like a hundred and like 30,000 or something. I mean, that, that is a ridiculous number. Yeah. And, you know, I, I understand, you know, no matter when we do it, there are still going to be some people who just are going to succumb to the disease, like to the, the virus, right? That's just, it's not like, go, it's not going to get down to zero. Right. You know? But right. it can be reduced drastically, you know, yeah. depending on our actions as a society. But I guess, you know, and Cuomo said it, you know, nobody wants to talk about what the real topic is. And it's how much is somebody's life worth? That's, you know, that, <laughs> that's really, and he, he brought it up the other day and he said, you know, nobody wants to say that, but that's really what the discussion is right now. And I think uh, Governor Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, actually was uh, in an interview and he basically was saying that 
like, Hey, you know, people are going to die. Like this is, you know, kind of the cost of doing business. And, uh, you know, people, it's like, yeah, you, it's very, it's a hard, we all know it's going to happen, but to, to use the economy as an excuse for it, that's probably not like the best thing to do. I would say, you know, I, I mean, I could come up with a better answer. Like, look, we need to open in a smart way. Uh, some people probably still are going to uh, get sick. Um, and we're going to try and limit that as much as possible. Um, so I, I don't know, some, something like that. You know, it's like an easier way to put it rather than just like, you know, the cost of doing business. I don't know. I just feel like that's probably not the smoothest way to say things. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. And like going back to that number, you got 100, 100, what was it, 130,000 you said? 160? I believe so. Yeah, I believe it was 130. Yeah. Just just to, for some perspective, 450,000 Americans died in World War II. So yeah. World War II, which lasted – how many years did World War II last? Like seven? I don't know. I don't want to give a number because then, you know, I don't, I don't want to get roasted by the kids. But well, yeah, that's true. Well, let's just say like a lot longer – well, also America was not involved in World War II for the entire uh, length of it. But let's just say, I don't know, we're expecting that, that number of deaths, what, by the end of the year? So less than a year – Versus well, August. They're saying they were saying by August. August. Oh yeah. my God, that's yeah, incredible. So. That's an insane number of people. Right, and uh, yes, I mean it's a, a scary, a scary number. So yeah, uh, that's a deal. But this topic uh, does get me depressed. So okay, I agree. let's yeah, let's let's move on to something a little more okay. uh, up upbeat. Let's let, let's talk a little more upbeat here. All right, sounds good. Uh, so I think our intention for today, and we'll get to today's main topic, which we always try and make, uh, sports related because, uh, we are, uh, a couple of PE teachers. Uh, we wanted to go back and revisit some of the topics we had discussed previously on the podcast because, um, I don't know, we're, we're, we're a little clairvoyant or something because, uh, very shortly after we discussed two topics, some big news hit in, uh, in both of them. So... Uh, let's begin by talking about which a lot of you responded to uh, in marking period five. Great job, everybody. Uh, the women's uh, a judge dismissed part, not all, but part of the women's lawsuit against U.S. soccer uh, in the equal pay lawsuit. The women's national team was suing U.S. soccer over uh, equal pay to the men's team and a judge dismissed part of the case. So he's not allowing part of the lawsuit to proceed, which is basically a ruling against the women's national team. Um, so basically, uh, the, what the judge ruled was, so evidently, and I, and I was not aware of this, but the women's national team and the men's national team play under different, what's called collective bargaining agreements, which is like a contract, collective bargaining. And actually, I think we're going to cover collective bargaining a little bit more in a future uh, podcast to really get in depth about what it is. But so teachers, too, we're members of a union. We collectively bargain. It's when you don't negotiate your individual pay. So I would get paid this. You would get paid that. And it different salaries for everybody on the team. But it's more like the team together negotiates what they're going to be paid and how they're going to be treated and what the practices are and, and things like that because there's strength in numbers. The, the, all of them negotiating together rather than negotiating individually gives them more leverage against uh, – 
the uh, you know whether it's ownership or the people the governing body of of soccer right so the women and the men have different contracts that they negotiated the women uh agreed to be paid guaranteed salaries so they make a, a, a set amount of money that that's what you will get paid for being on the women's national team and there they have some opportunities for bonuses if they play well uh um, and, and this also allows for more of the players to get paid, but they just get paid a little bit less. It's more secure, but you don't make as much. On the men's side of it, they don't earn a salary. They only get paid when they are called to play, when they come into practice, and then when they make the team and then they play in the games, that's when they get paid. Now, they get paid more. Up, like Once they get paid, they get paid more, but there are no guarantees in the money that they're going to get. So basically what the judge said is, is that you guys in May of 2016 you willingly chose to negotiate this contract the men willingly chose to negotiate a different contract and now you kind of basically what you're saying is you want to go back and take the deal that you didn't take initially even though you had a chance to and you want to be paid as though you had accepted that deal instead of the one that you actually took sounds like let's make a deal wait yeah. wait <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's that's tough. I mean, that the women still have some level. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is what unions do, right? And if things change, um, you know, they could, they could always go on strike, right, to force the the uh, powers that be to renegotiate, right? Isn't it? I mean, that's kind of what what would have to be their next step. Yeah, you know, I I don't know, but. Um, you know, some. I think this article really ticked off some of the students because we did get a lot of feedback on yeah. it. Um, yeah. You know, one one student said, "I don't understand why they just don't get paid the same. Like, why aren't men and women getting paid equally?" And I didn't want to respond because I said, "Oh, we'll, we'll talk about it on the podcast." And it's 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 definitely not that simple. Um, you know, it has to do with money and revenue. Right. So um, how can we put this uh, to explain this a little better? Um, you know, I, I guess what you could say is like if if people are willing to pay, say, a hundred dollars a ticket to go see the men's play, the men play. And I'm just I'm not saying this is what is happening, but um, or you could use the NBA. Why does the NBA get paid a lot more than the WNBA? Um the reality is people will spend a lot more money on the NBA, right? I mean, that's, that's just what it is. When, it, when it's performance-based like this um, and you're dealing with revenue, like this is just what's going to happen, um, right? I mean, th there's nobody – when you look at the NBA, there's only like a handful of people in the world who can do with what an NBA player can do. Yeah. Right. And I'm talking men or women like the men, you know, can do 360 dunks like nobody in the world can do that. So people pay a lot of money for that. Right. Um, if a woman was doing stuff that a man that man cannot do, you would see people probably paying um, more money to see women than men. Right. I mean, is that a good way to put it? Yeah. So, um, 
I, I think the men get paid more is because they generate a lot more revenue and it's because people will pay um, and more money to see the men. Now, look, the, the U.S. women's team is kind of uh, an anomaly, anomaly in this situation because they're so much more dominant than the men's team as far as like their, their, their competition. So that's why I think this situation's a little different. Um, so they do have more leverage um, to get paid, I would say, more than, you know, more than the men. But like Ishii is just saying, they agreed to this contract beforehand. So maybe they need to like reconsider who advised them on signing this deal. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. And um, although I, I, I would, I think we should consider, because I don't know that it's as cut and dry when you say that, um, well, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it doesn't necessarily fit in this category, but I agree with what you're saying about how, yeah, like players in the NBA are going to get paid more than players in the WNBA because they attract more fans because, uh, you know, the men are capable of doing certain things that the women are not capable of in, in the NBA versus WNBA. And, and you know, you said that, uh, you know, when you agree that if a woman could do something that a man couldn't do, that she would get paid more, or at least if she could do it as good, then she would get paid equal. And I, I did agree with you. And I guess I'm more agreeing conceptually, but I also know that in Hollywood, uh, you know, the Oscars has become a bit of a, a politically charged show but I know that a lot of women in their acceptance speeches for awards and, and such, they were also actresses are fighting for equal pay to men. And, you know, I think that's pretty nuts that they don't get paid as much. Like, because I do think you can make the argument that Meryl Streep is a, as good of an actor as any male actor out there or that, you know, um, and it's harder to measure, I guess. But um, you, should, you think the kids know who Meryl Streep is? Can you no, give maybe us, not. Like, uh, can you give us like a... <laughs> A better movie star, a, a younger, a younger. Well, who's movie who, who's the girl who just won all those Grammys? And I say girl meaning girl. I think she's like a teenager still, right? Like, uh, what's her name? Billie Eilish. Okay. Right. right? Like, uh, I don't, but I don't know what the deal is with music. I don't know if there's pay discrepancy there, right? But Billie Eilish is like a teenage girl who's one of the hottest music stars out there, right? She must be. Or she should probably get paid as much, if not more, than any top male uh, music star out there. You would think, right? Like, um, but anyway, I'm sorry. Getting back to this, I, I, I do think I agree. I just think that, yeah, I think the women's team is more, more recognizable. I do think it's unfortunate that they, but I mean, it is a choice they make, and to some extent, everybody does have to re- live with their choices. I'm just not sure what U.S. what U.S. soccer is really doing, though. Like. I don't really get why U.S. soccer, like, I, I get you always follow the money and, and the bottom line matters, but is this good for U.S. soccer to be in this, like, really messy public fight with the team that they know is more popular? Yeah. Pro- Although, I don't know, maybe, like, what do they say? Any publicity is good publicity? Like, yeah, would, we, it's true. would we be talking about, you know, U.S. soccer right now if it wasn't for this? <laughs> That's true. No, probably not. You know, so... <laughs> Um, I think they'll probably be more aware of what's going, you know, what's going on. And, and like we've, like you've said in the past, like, you know, people that make a lot of noise or push the envelope, you know, um, in this, in this situation, like, you know, 
when they negotiate with the women for the next contract, I'm sure they're going to be a lot more careful about making sure that they make the contract more equitable. Um, yeah. Because the women, are, they've been fighting, they've been fighting a lot. They've been fighting hard. And I, I think, you know, now, you know, when they, when the next contract comes up, they'll have a lot more leverage, um, you know, because the, the, the national team or whoever, you know, pays their, pays their checks doesn't, you're right. They're not going to want this negative publicity. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, this, this is, a, this was a good topic. Um, we had some, some students liked our last topic, which was the professional sports, um, talking about like what, what sport they thought would come back or was the easiest to come back. And, uh, you know, Ed, Edwin was telling, was writing to me and he, he was saying, he thinks, you know, tennis is probably a sport that could come back pretty quick. And I, I, I thought that was, that was pretty good. You know, I, I mentioned golf. Um, yeah. And I, I think tennis is, tennis is good too. He, he was saying that it's not a lot of staff for tennis. Yeah. Um, you know, no, I, that's... I mean, if you don't have fans, what do you, what do you have? You have two players, you have two coaches, you have a judge, a trainer, yep. Uh, you're probably looking at like, you know, I don't know, seven to 10 people for the actual match, you know, a few ball boys. Um, yeah. and that's kind of what, what you would have with tennis, kind of like my, my golf thing. Uh, I think tennis and golf would be a good sport. He thought the, the hardest sport to come back would be football. Oh, I have no uh, doubt about that. Yeah. You know, just because of the amount of people that are involved, um, and Mariah was saying base, she thought baseball would, was like an e, a sport that could come back, um, you know, not the easiest time. But everybody who answered the second the second question was about like what steps would you take to ensure player safety, and the common theme and the discussion for all the students was uh, like testing. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, and that should be, apply to the country as well. But uh, I I want to go back for one second. Because we should move on now to baseball. I think that was a good uh, segue going into baseball announced a plan to reopen. But just real quick, I do think – I was actually thinking this morning tennis is a great idea too. Because like how many players would you even need? Like how many players actually participate in a full-strength tournament anyway? Like a couple hundred? I mean not even a couple hundred. Like 150 maybe? Yeah. I guess the issue with tennis is you know, if you, if you win, you, I guess you play like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So – you would be, you know, you could expose people, and by the time you find out, it might be like too late. I guess. Yeah. I don't know, but I guess that's the that's the purpose of testing. You know, test everybody Wednesday. Right. Right. Uh, test everybody Wednesday. Everybody's kind of like quarantined, and then they get ready to, to go Thursday. Um, when it when it comes to testing, I know like even uh, Richmond University Medical Center, just uh, throwing them a shout out. Um, they just secured, which is the hospital where my, my kids were born. But uh, I just read that they secured two new rapid test machines for COVID. So they could oh, nice. give you a positive response, a positive uh, result in five minutes. Um, and then oh, wow. a negative result takes 17 minutes. So, um, you know, the technology is out there. And I'm sure these professional sports would have no problem obtaining some of this stuff. Um, but that's probably what you're looking at now. Um yeah, uh, professional athletes, whoever's involved, takes a test probably daily, and then uh, once they confirm negative, then you know 
then they then they just play. I don't know. That's that's kind of what seems like it's going to happen. Um, before we get to baseball, also UFC is having an event on Saturday uh, on ESPN and pay per view. So that's another live sport that's that's coming back. I'm sure they'll be doing uh, a lot of testing also. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there's a lot of testing that comes with fighting anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you even have to get HIV tested, uh, fighters legally. I think. Yeah. So uh, that wouldn't disrupt. That wouldn't be terribly disruptive to their lifestyle. I would think. Uh, all right. So baseball. Here's the plan. Uh, a, the original plan was that all the players in the league were going to get quarantined together in Arizona, and then they were ultimately going to end up playing in three to five uh, kind of more centrally located cities or regional cities. Um, now the new plan is players are evidently being told that they should prepare as though spring training will resume on June 10th and opening day would be July 1st. And the plan now is rather than have everybody in Arizona, just teams plan on playing games in your home stadium. No fans, but plan on playing in, uh, your, home, in your home stadium. Um, so the owners are reaching out to players as well to try and, uh, negotiate, uh, a different pay scale for them because of the lost revenue of not having fans in, which connects a little bit to our, uh, our soccer discussion. Uh, but also, um, you know, multiple players have, are asking the union, what would happen if we opted out of the season for safety reasons, if we didn't want to be one of, uh, you know, president Trump's warriors, uh, getting out there. And, uh, and, and also what would happen if somebody in the league tested positive? Um, because then it's, then you have to test the rest of the team you have. And if anybody, and like that team would just be, I don't know, like they would, couldn't play for two weeks cause they had the quarantine. So what would happen, uh, in, in that? And so what they're looking for is to have teams having, and we're just getting back to, you know, like tennis and golf, you can keep the numbers low teams would have 50 players that they could call up to play at any given time they would have 30 players on the active rosters so 30 players actually present on each team for the games and the goal would be to play 80 to 100 games and have the season wrapped up prior to november which is usually when the season ends in case there is a second wave of uh virus in the fall when they're expecting some sort of backlash Wow. Wow. I also saw, I, I think if you are considered high risk, like a high risk, if you have some kind of pre-existing conditions, uh, I think that you, you wouldn't be participating. Yeah, you would think, right. Uh, I mean, and there's some, I mean, what do we do with managers, right? Like how old's Joe Madden? Yeah. Um, maybe they'll have a mask on. I know, uh, I think Korea, maybe South Korea. Yeah, there they started playing baseball this week, and they had the umpires were wearing masks. And I think in the dugout, like some of the players were wearing masks. Okay. So I guess we'll see what happens over there. Um, but like I said, if they're if they're testing constantly then uh, I guess the idea is like if somebody on the team has it and if you're testing every day, I mean, I don't think like 30 players are all going to get it overnight. Right. Right. So, um, you know, if you're testing every day, then you could probably isolate 
you know, one or two before it spreads to the rest of the team. Um, you know, and I'm sure they're probably going to have certain guidelines within the team as far as like traveling, like just different different rules that they're they're going to put put in place to kind of keep the players, you know, not on top of each other. I guess. Right. I don't know. One one thing I saw um, from like little league, they're talking about no more handshake lines uh, at the end of games. Instead, they want to like do a like tip their cap. Mm. which is a sign of respect in baseball. Um, I guess just little things like that. Um, you know, and, yeah. and again, the, the baseball is the one thing that everybody gets to touch, right? So Major League Baseball, they could just throw a new ball out there like every, yeah. you know, every bat. But like, you know, Little League Baseball, I mean, you, go, you usually use like one or two balls a game. So yeah. you're talking like one person – you know, everybody's touching like this one baseball. So right, that's that's a little, probably a little more difficult to deal with. So, um, you know, and I, and some of these amateur leagues or, you know, travel baseball, I, you know, I don't know how they're going to start. They're talking about starting in June. I don't know how they're going to start before the major league, like, season gets going. Like, don't you think, like, the major league season has to go first to kind of see what the ramifications are and then from there the like the you know the more recreational leagues will will maybe follow i I don't know is it is that what you think or yeah no doubt about it and i just also think like i mean and and you're seeing this because i i've been i've been also reading pretty closely about college football uh I don't know if the listeners know I went to Ohio State, best college football team in the world. So I follow college football pretty closely. Uh, and it, I mean, I feel like the overall sentiment in, in that among people that I find personally find reasonable is it, this is much different than pro sports because there's no financial. And I don't necessarily agree. There's not no financial incentive for college football players to come back and play. There is a financial incentive if you think that you can be an NFL draft pick and this right. is the only spot for you to showcase your talent. But we're also talking about, uh, a ve- you know, even at even at the very top levels of college football, a small percentage of guys who uh, who get drafted even. Um, so for the vast majority of players, there's really no financial incentive to come back. And when you can't provide a financial incentive for someone to uh, put their their health and their family's health and the health of uh, like you know millions of university students at risk um, when there's no financial incentive. It's a much more complicated issue. Yeah, but you just got to be a warrior. You, you got to be a warrior. That's right. <laughs> That's what we all are uh, now. Yeah, I think uh, I think we can wrap it up for today. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll 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 throw a discussion question on Schoology, um, and then maybe we'll have a survey or some kind of question about uh, maybe some topics that the kids would want us to talk about. Yeah, and maybe some guests too. Yeah, uh, if you and again, if you have any requests for uh, a guest, let it, let us know. We'll, we'll see if we can make that happen for you. Yeah. All right, little warriors out there, uh, <laughs> stay safe, stay healthy. And we will talk to you guys again soon. Have a good weekend. Happy Mother's Day. And we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, yeah. Happy Mother's Day. All right, later. All right.